Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartown, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. Okay, well, welcome to the Apex Hour. I am so excited for this week. We are a little bit sweaty and a little bit tired, but we are definitely not hungry, that's for sure. Um, This was our first official kickoff event of the semester, and we are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, and we have an amazing guest in with us who's been in residence for the last couple days. (laughs) Welcome to Gustavo Ariano. Thank you for being here. Gracias for having me. And thank you for being a part of the radio show, you are full, I'm sure, to the brim, because we just sampled some of the tacos from our local restaurants. And um, do you have some thoughts and impressions? I I come from Southern California, which is the land of tacos, of course, and we always assume that no one can do tacos better than us. But I'm very happy to have found out that here in Cedar City, Cedar City you see, I'm so full, I can't even talk anymore, that... <laughs> There's good tacos here. They're really good tacos. I mean, we went to El Toro Loco. We went to Brody's. We went to La Casa de Don Miguel or La Casa Don Miguel. I would recommend each and every one for different reasons, but they're all good. That's right. So you guys that are listening, you know that we've got good tacos here in Cedar City. And just another shout out to those great restaurants who hosted. um, We basically loaded up four different vehicles full of students and faculty and administrators and did a taco run. We had little voting cards. And so we're going to tally those later today. Definitely one of the most unique college experiences I've ever had in my life. And by unique, I mean awesome. (laughs) That's great. Well, I'm so glad you had a good time. You also spent some time talking with us at the actual event today, which is great. And I'd love to get into, you know, just some more details and maybe get a little deeper into some of the topics that we were going at. Um, We started talking about writing. And and do you have um, an article that, that, or, or let's go at this way, do you have a writer who who really inspires you? Oh, my Lord. There's so many. I mean, in, in the past, Mark Twain, John Steinbeck, you know, then journalism, you get, uh, uh, what's his name? Tom Wolfe, may rest in peace, Gay Talisi. And then the present day, you have, what's her name? Jillian Lepore from The New Yorker, who did this amazing book about the history of Wonder Woman. Oh, like, right. awesome, awesome writer, Jillian Lepore. Uh, you you get people, A.C. Thompson writes for ProPublica, uh, online news agency about white supremacist groups and all that. There's just so much great writing out there. And the great thing in this day and age of the internet, like you could find it almost anywhere. Right, exactly. And we want to also give a plug for all the great writing that you've done. <laughs> and so those of you who may not be as familiar with Gustavo's work, um, we definitely have been celebrating a, a 
two of your books. We've been celebrating Ask a Mexican. Yeah. We can talk more about that. And also Taco USA, how Mexican food conquered the world, you know, and that's really great. But you have another book that is a, more of a personal <laughs> yeah. story for you. Yeah, that, uh, that was my second book, Orange County, A Personal History. It came out 2008, a decade ago. Wow, how time wow. flies. Yeah, and it was half history of Orange County, the way it influenced the rest of the United States through, say, religion, through politics, through uh, pop culture, whatever. But it's also a half memoir of my family's own history going back and forth between Mexico and Anaheim where I was born and raised and where my uh, I, I'm the only sibling I, I'm the only sibling that left uh, Anaheim and I went just down the freeway to Santa Ana like yeah. not even that far away and do you have a, a, a large family? Uh, we are only four children or we're four siblings we were the small family of all my cousins the rest of my cousins are like you know, minimum six. Wow. The largest one from my oldest aunt was 12. I have like over a hundred first cousins. Oh that's just gosh. on my mom's side. Wow. And yeah, but, and we all, and almost all of us ended up in Anaheim. Almost all of us, almost all of my cousins are still in Anaheim one way or another. So I, I talk to them all the time. Yeah. And how is the, uh, it, experience compare i mean as a, an, a family coming from mexico at the time when you did in your experience and how does that compare to what's going on now or what do you i'm sure you have lots to say oh that that's a whole <laughs> class but when my dad came to this country in the trunk of a chevy in 1968 back then no one cared no right. one demonized him some people complained but whatever my dad became a carpet cutter then he became a truck driver eventually he became an american citizen because of the amnesty of uh, President Reagan, 1986, and that's what allowed us to become. I mean, my parents just paid off their mortgage Aww. after 30 years. The whole American dream. I own a house. My other sister owns a house. And people say in this day and age, and especially in Southern California, young people can't own houses. Well, we do, and we're not rich. We just scrimped and saved and whatever. Now, of course, you have a lot of people who are undocumented and have at least. Uh, right now, you don't see any future for them getting any sort of legalization. You have a president, a Republican president, who demonizes such immigrants at every step of the way. It's interesting because I'm doing an article for the Columbia Journalism Review about Telemundo and Univision, the two biggest uh, Spanish language networks in the United States. Right. And so they, they're and specifically about the news part. And so they're what's called the Noticiero, their main newscast. They both have the same DNA in a previous uh, broadcaster that no longer exists. Well, when that newscast uh, uh, debuted in 1981, it started off with a taped message from President Ronald Reagan in English saying, like, I'm glad, I'm proud of the Hispanic population in this country. You would not see that today right. at all, which mm -hmm. to me, I think it's unfortunate because this country has always been built on immigration, legal and illegal people. Right. For the most part, don't care. Uh, you know, I think people just care. Are you going to be good neighbors? Are you going to contribute to this country? If you can, go for it exactly. from wherever you are in the world. Yeah. In in the current climate, do you see any answer for us? I mean, do you see any <laughs> way forward? I don't know. I you know I I believe this administration follows what people st say in his to his ear. Mm -hmm. And if someone told them the next day, if you had amnesty, it would bring wonders to you, and you would be hailed as a god in Mexico, he would do it in a heartbeat. I think all we could do for those of us who do stand with immigrants is continue to tell those stories. And for those immigrants themselves, you got to have hope. If you don't have hope, then you don't have anything. You have to have a hope that somewhere, some at some point, things are going to get better. Yeah. Well, that's actually a very positive take. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I, you have to be an optimist, which is funny because in journalism, we're all cynics. We know <laughs> how everything 
operates. We like the real journalists. Like I, I have no political affiliation. I haven't. I haven't been politically affiliated since God, since I was a teenager. Oh. I think. I think my first election, I vote. I went Democrat. That doesn't mean I don't vote for Democrat or Republican. But I know both parties have their problems. Uh, especially you know in Southern California, the Democrats in some ways are worse than the Republicans, just because they should know better. But that said, you have to again. If you don't have hope, then what is there? Like at right. that point, that's when you go off into the forest and be, you know become a caveman or something i don't know <laughs> well we don't want that. no 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 mountain man there we go but one of the things that i think you have found in your writing is the great ambassador of food i mean and you talk a lot how uh mexican food has become in a way an ambassador for the u.s and I, that's a very beautiful sentiment can you talk a little more about that and maybe how food has always been an ambassador i know there's this idea of food gets you a place at the table yeah. you know maybe yeah. tell some stories about that part of it we all have to eat we all want to eat good food americans at this point know mexican food can be very very delicious so they go out and seek it and what's amazing to me like just going through our little taco run in cedar city you had these families they for a lot you know i'll stereotype right now but for a lot of folks in cedar city the the most interaction they'll have with latinos will probably be at their mexican restaurant and Mm -hmm. so here you see hardworking families giving you good food and it's a lot it's a lot of burden for the families at you know themselves but still like there was one gentleman who said i you know we're proud to be representing latinos here through our food and it's a great thing because then you get a positive experience off of it then you start thinking well the food's good and the mexicans that i know they're good too. Maybe what they're, they're telling me on the nightly news about like, uh, gangs and cartels, maybe that's not necessarily true. So, so that's a step. And then more importantly, if you're, if you're sorry, if you're, <laughs> I, I, I hear I'm thinking we're just having a conversation at a restaurant instead of a, 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 a radio, which means it's going good. But, um, if you're eating out of place and there's strangers next to you, but you're sharing the same food, Eventually, you're going to look at each other and maybe you might say, oh, yeah, that's like that's really good salsa. Right. And you start having conversations about food. Food is a safe space, I would argue, for many people to be able to express themselves. And so when you have that power, what do you do with it? I argue you have conversations, you have conversations and, you know, you're at a table. So. You know, it's a safe space. You could have disagreements. That's perfectly fine. But remember, you're all sharing your meal. Enjoy it. Enjoy it and allow the other person to enjoy their meal as well. And historically, that's the same, right? Even if you go back to the Spaniards and all of those, wasn't it there there were accommodations made and things happening because of the food and, and exchanges? And I know you talk a lot about that in your book, but are, is there a particular story that kind of illustrates that connection, even early on historically, yeah. that you can think of? It, it, with food, you the, uh, food is a grand gathering places of cultures. People take this, people give that. Little, you know, little by little in Mexico, for instance, probably the best approximation would be the tacos al pastor. Ta- uh, tacos al pastor are po- is pork on a spit with a pineapple on top. The juices are really, really good. Well, that tradition, it's called al pastor. Pastor means shepherd. And it comes from the tradition of Lebanese and Armenians who came to Mexico in the 1920s and they brought their shawarma tradition. And shawarma, if you don't know, it's a giant cylinder of meat, usually like lamb and, uh, beef or chicken not pork of course and yeah and then you just slowly twirling around yeah at some point these immigrants came to mexico 
they, you know, the Mexicans there, they got their that tradition from them. They made something completely different and, and better, I would argue. I, I love shawarma, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love shawarma, but Tacos al Pastor is just an evolution of shawarma. Yeah. One of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about earlier today was salsa. Ah. And so maybe we could have a little exploration of salsa. So, you know, in, in the book, I mean, salsa is kind of a later thing, right? 40s, 50s, maybe? Is it an emergence? In, in mass production, yes. I mean, you always had hot sauce, Tabasco, of course, going back. Then remember, folks, Tabasco is a state in Mexico. And it's named after the Tabasco pepper, a Mexican pepper. So even though it's Cajun to the max, it's also Mexican to the max. But um, you, what's interesting, at least with the evolution of the hot part of Mexican food, it originally started with chili powder. Chili powder was first sold in mass by a German immigrant named William Gebhardt, who lived in New Braunfels, which at that at the point was like a German suburb. I didn't know of that. San, German. Of, of, wow. San, of San Antonio. Now it's a it's a bedroom community, but for a long time it was a German colony. This is the early 1900s, and then you start seeing chili peppers being sold in a can, and then once you start seeing the actual salsas and hot sauces, that would be like paste. That would be Victoria. Yeah, like the 1930s, and it's mm-hmm. slow. But surely, but then it really started exploding with the 60s onward to the point that now America uh, salsa is America's top selling condiment and has been outselling ketchup now for about 25 years. That's it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. I mean, for so long. I mean, it's really fun. And one of the stories I love in the book is um, has to do with a musician. And it is this kind of, um, let's see what his, uh, it's Dexter Holland who had <laughs> kind of this. A side thing. You did your that research. I love it. Do. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and then I didn't know I, this whole thing. Can you talk about that little bit? Dexter Holland from the '90s punk band The Offspring. You know, "Too Fly for a White Guy" or however the song went. Uh, all of that stuff. Orange County guy. So he grew up in Garden Grove, which which is a working class town in Orange County. Grip along Mexicans, love Mexican food, becomes, you know, a rock superstar. And then once it starts getting to a passion project, it's not music. It's not, a, he flies, he's a very smart guy. He got his doctorate in biochemistry That's from what, USC. Yeah, that really surprised me. I mean, I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, no, you know. Because you don't expect it. You expect someone's a musician, they're going to do musician music. forever. Yeah. But he gets his biochemistry degree, but his passion project is making a, salt, a hot sauce. So he releases a hot sauce called Gringo Bandito. And it's, if you know Tapatio, it's basically, Basically, take the Tapatio guy, so your classic Mexican chattel, big sombrero, the bandoliers, and all that. And now it's Dexter like that, which is really – like if you were to see it, most people would be offended by it. But now nah, it's Dexter Holland. They're jokers. Yeah. Even better, Gringo Bandito is a really good hot sauce. That's what I've heard. It's, I kind of want to really want to try oh it. Oh, my you God, You like yeah. it. You said I it's think it's like better really than Tapatio. <laughs> yeah, I think it's better than Tapatio because he leaves the seeds in there. So you sometimes you get seeds every once in a while to give you just that extra pop. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, we have lots more to talk about, but it's time for our first musical break. Um, I tried to find uh, bands that were from L.A., um, and I, I usually I played three songs yeah. in the course of it. And the first band um, I have a direct connection to, and, and that's Chicano Batman. Oh, God, you know them? Yes. They're so amazing. Aren't they amazing? Yeah. Well, the drummer um, from that band was a student at Citrus College, Whoa. which is where I used to teach yeah, before yeah. here. And so they, um, you know, they've been doing some 
really amazing things. And and the song I'm going to play is, I think, one of the things that's really sort of propelled them forward, which is their version of This Land is Your Land, uh, which was most notably on, uh, I think it's a Jack Daniels commercial during the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. So for our first musical break, this is a cover of This Land is Your Land by Chicano Batman. Um, This is KSUU Thunder 91.1. Okay, well, welcome back. Um, You're listening to the Apex Hour. This is KSUU Thunder 91.1. And we have Gustavo Ariano here in in the studio with us today. And we are talking all things food and culture, uh, particularly with Latino food and tacos. But I'm going to turn the discussion now to 
to a little bit of people. I know mm-hmm. that you have been um, just really on the scene and really had a great opportunity to collaborate with and interact with some of um, the greatest minds and, and personalities in food. And in particular, there's a couple that I know of, and maybe you have others you want to speak about, but two that we lost recently. Yeah. And and um, the first is Jonathan Gold, who mm-hmm. is just a, a beloved member of the Southern California and national community. And I know that you wrote about him and have talked about him. And so maybe you can share your relationship or experiences or... He, he was a genius. He was also a very kind guy. Uh, he changed food writing. Before Before Jonathan, it was all about uh, experience at the restaurant, just a service, just this very, very specific small world. But with Jonathan, with the genius of him, and he wrote for the Los, An- Los Angeles Times and LA Weekly. Those are really his two most famous um, platforms. But the genius of him is that he told the whole world, like, he told the story of the world just based on the restaurant. And he told you how Southern California was changing. Like, okay, you have a new Chinese restaurant in town. Well, it's not just Chinese. There's a story behind it. What part of China are they from? What dishes are they selling from China? And he would do this with every immigrant culture again and again and again. In many ways, he legitimized ethnic cuisine in America. Before that, it was seen as some exotic, weird thing that you could call bizarre or weird food. Jonathan just treated it as what it is, food. And he wrote about it so beautifully and elegantly and he tragically died of pancreatic cancer uh just this past july i remember i was told about it and i was sworn to secrecy which i was and from his diagnosis to his death was just about two and a half weeks wow pancreatic cancer is a widowmaker like if they it's, it's a most bizarre tragic cancer like other cancers you know even if it's late late in the game you could uh, fight it mm-hmm. but pancreatic if you ha- if when they find it, it's usually stay f- stage 4 and at that point say your goodbyes i didn't realize yeah, it was that. it was tragic oh. but at least people who loved him were able to he was able to make peace with his self as sad as it was like most people do not have the chance to be able to say goodbye to the people that they want to uh, say goodbye to and vice versa like right. most unfortunately when most people pass away it's either instantaneous or after a long time which at that point you're defeated and right. you're no longer the person that person's no longer the person you remember but mm-hmm. fast so and miss them terribly and he was uh live was saying last week we showed the ugly delicious yeah, episode yeah, yeah. on tacos and and he was memorably in that uh, <laughs> with all of you driving around LA and that must have been a really special time can you uh talk about that that experience filming that episode yeah. and that project uh, ugly delicious was a david Flint, uh, david chang uh limited series on Netflix and he just went around the world like he would take one dish and you'd try to tell a whole history about it so I obviously was on the tacos episode it was me David Chang who's a very famous chef from New York Peter Mien who was an editor for a former magazine called Lucky Peach that he and uh, David ran and then Jonathan and so I drove in this beautiful Jeep Grand Caravan oh no that's a Dodge Grand Caravan but it's a beautiful Jeep Wagoner, that's what yes, they call him, Wagoneer. Yeah. Was it mine? I wish it was. Everybody asked, you know, <laughs> that was a question that came up. They were like, is that his car? My car's better, actually. I have a 79 Ford Ranger Super Cab. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's that awesome. Beautiful. But So they had me drive around town. They had the steady cam in the front. And we just had conversations. And it's funny because people say, like, was Jonathan sleeping during some of the shots? I'm like, probably. Who cares? It's Jonathan. Yeah. Jonathan could do whatever he wants. Me, I'm the upstart. So I have to, like, put on a you know dog and pony show. But whatever. He was great. David was great. 
great food. We hit up uh, like three, three, uh, four spots, I believe, in that episode. And then I, I apparently uh, wowed the producers so much that they asked me to do a separate episode, or not episode, but a separate segment for that episode in Meat La Cafe. That that was a restaurant yes. that ended up becoming uh, the quote-unquote inspiration for Taco Bell. So, mm-hmm. it, if, like, if you haven't seen it, just go Ugly Delicious, on, on, Ugly Delicious on Netflix. You don't even have to see my episode. The other episodes are great. There's a, episodes about pizza, about barbecue, about chicken wings. It's, really, it's a really good show. Is doing a, a show something you'd like to do? <laughs> of course. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I worked in Hollywood for a little bit. I served oh, really? as a consulting producer on a Fox cartoon called Border Town that only lasted half a season. They got canceled because no one saw it, but I thought it was good. I got a pilot commit, not a pilot commitment, a script commitment for ABC. So I was able to write a script for them. It was going to be a show about gentrification in Boyle Heights in Los Angeles. Oh, that didn't go anywhere. I get it. They said the characters weren't strong enough. Hey, it was my first time trying to write a script. Right. So that was cool. Um, but I, I like being a reporter more. Mm-hmm. I, when it comes to Hollywood, Especially the way Hollywood is now and or forever, you you do sit in something called the writers' room, and you sit in a room eight hours a day minimum, Monday through Friday, while the season's going, which is about nine months. It's basically like school. And for someone like myself, who's basically been, um, I've 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 just been like a wild man my entire professional career, going like making my own schedule. Just for us, it's all about the story. I just found it very uh, confining to be in a right. room again and again and again. So it, and I still have an agent. I still get offers to be on shows, but I tell them like if I'm just gonna, and I get it. And to climb the Hollywood ladder, you have to start at the beginning. But at this point, I'm like, I don't even need this. Like, mm-hmm. if I were to do a show, I'm sorry to say it would have to be my show. If I'm going to be made to sit in a room for eight hours thinking of jokes, like, it better be my show. Otherwise, there's no point to it. I don't care how much money you throw at me. I don't care. But I could so imagine a show with you going around the U.S. <laughs> to these restaurants and getting the camera inside these places and how beautiful that could be. I think I, that'd be I, cool. I thank you for that. I've pitched it. It hasn't gone anywhere. If it happens, it happens, but I'm not counting on it. And that's the other thing with Hollywood. Things take forever. Yeah. Minimum nine months for turnaround. As a reporter, I could turn in a story today and uh, publish it like in an hour. Right. Right. Well, the other person that I wanted to ask you about was Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah. Who so many of us who love travel and food. I mean, he was such an icon and such an inspiration and, and everything. And, and I know that you wrote a beautiful article, article very shortly after he passed and, and you have worked with him. And if, if you wouldn't mind commenting on your experiences with him or thoughts about that. Uh, amazing kind man. I only, I only talked to him that one time. We were supposed to do another show later on down the line. Uh. I know it didn't happen, but the, the, the story I always tell about Anthony just to show you what kind of man he was. So we filmed the segment on Vera Street, like this tourist trap, but with really good Mexican food in Los, An- in Los Angeles. So we filmed it at ni- around nine o'clock when everything was closed because they didn't want crowds there. And it wasn't him. It was just like you could not film with all the crowds around what him. It gets so busy yeah. at that place. Oh, my Lord, yeah. So he shows up, and he's in pain because he had just gone, undergone a six-hour tattoo session on his um, like on his thigh going up to his hip. So, oh. yeah, a, a, a place where it's going to be bending and hurting. Yes. So, But he was great. He was a pro. He said he liked my stuff. That was nice. Then we finally wrap up around, say, 1130 at night. 
And there's a car waiting for him already to take him to the hotel. He's, you know, he's tired. Mm -hmm. But people were out and they didn't know he was shooting. But once they saw him, they start going up to him. We're talking about homeless people. We're talking about police officers, people going to work, people coming from work, immigrants, uh, non-immigrants, hipsters. And they all go up to him and they all have a favorite episode. And not only does he entertain them, but he actually has a conversation with them. And so he ends up staying there for like 45 minutes more. Yeah. The car's there. Like it's illegally parked. Actually, it starts going going around. circles around. Yeah. He didn't have to do that. And if he told everyone, you know what, folks, I appreciate it, but I'm tired, everyone would have said, okay, that's fine. That shows that that shows the 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 te- it's a testament to the man. Yeah. It's a testament to who he was, what he stood for, his work ethic, and more importantly, that he was grateful, no matter how. And the guy was a genius. He was a genius, and he knew it. But that said, he was humble about mm. it. Like you, you know, you you know when people know that they're, you know. In Spanish, you say muy muy, like real, like real, real, you know? Right, right. And he knew that, but he didn't let it get to his head. He, yeah. like, listened to everyone. He'd have, like, oh, yeah, that episode, like, give him little stories. He knew what he had to do. And everyone, of course, can I take a picture? I never take selfies, I, like, especially with celebrities I interview. I just find it tacky. I took a selfie with him, though. Oh, oh my Lord. I had to. <laughs> and what a treasure for you now. Oh, my God, sure. yeah. I mean, it's just such a loss Ugh. that I think so many people can't uh, understand. And, and so it's... Um, I'm happy that we still have uh, his work, his, his legacy, body of work, you know? him and Jonathan. I, you know, those those uh, gentlemen passing away and others like have really made me think about mortality this year. And I realized that the most you could do, you know, we all want to be remembered, but and some can, some can't. But the most important thing you want to do is leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. Let after you pass away, let people say, yeah, that was a good person, and. Here's sort of uh, testament to what th- he or she were able to do. Like, so leave a legacy. Everyone should leave a legacy in their own way, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful statement to take a pause and <laughs> reflect on, and we'll listen to our next song. Um, the next song I have is, a, is another band, and I, I'm not sure what this band is doing right now, but this is a band, and uh, I, I have a little bit of a connection to, and it's a band called Ozomotli. Ozomotli, yeah, and yeah. They, I believe they started as high school students at Hamilton uh-huh. together, yeah. and so they kind of started in, in one of the performing arts schools, known for performing arts in Los Angeles, and and um, they have sort of a, a great uh, melting pot kind oh of story. God, yeah. I mean, they're, they're percussionist, Japanese American. Yeah, yeah. There's, his name. There's yeah, there's like somebody from everybody, and then and then their lyrics are often sometimes in Spanish, sometimes in English, and like you said, they have a Japanese American drummer and all of this. Um, and again, I haven't heard too much recently, but I know they have some really great stuff out there. So the song I'd like to play of theirs is called After Party. So that's the song we're gonna listen to, and this is Ozo Motley. This song is After Party, and you're listening to KSCU Thunder 91.1. I wonder if we'll ever find a party that lasts all night. City I've never felt before in my 
Well, we are back here at the Apex Hour. This is Lynn Vartan. I'm joined with Gustavo Ariano. That song that you just heard was After Party by Ozo Motley. It's just such a great, I just want to have like a, a little like slushy or something by the pool and just like enjoy that music. Yeah, just lounge in a barca lounger or something exactly. or one of those floaty things. And, uh, and Gustavo, you were telling me that they tour a lot right now. So I know if anybody's interested in what they're doing, they have a fairly recent um, EP. EP that they released, and also um, they're touring all the time. So O-Z-O-M-A-T-L-I, Ozomatli. Okay, well, we're going to continue our discussion. And I think one of the things I was really taken by in the book was how much the individual story propelled the big story mm. of Mexican food forward. And I just was always struck by it was always somebody like somebody in the back stirring together their salsa or, um, for example, maybe a story that would be fun is, is 
uh, we talked a little bit about the margarita. Mm -hmm. And then there's the story of the guy who went in the 7-Eleven and the sort of saw the Slurpee machine. Oh, the frozen margarita and, machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mariana Martinez. Yeah. And so maybe if you could comment on either that story or kind of talking about in in your perception how the the individuals matter, you know. It, it, all inventions start with one person. And it's, usually it's a group of people, but you have to tell those stories. And the thing, and it all started somewhere. It just didn't come out of thin air, just like magically landed on your desk or on your in your kitchen. So one of the things that I try to do in Taco USA or, or just anything, I try to really track the pioneer, so to speak, who was the person who invented it. So with the frozen margarita machine, it was a man by the name of Mariano Martinez. He used to make frozen margaritas the old way or the, like the way, excuse me, the way a lot of people do. Just, you know, get a blender, zzz, pour them out. And, and all the limes. Yeah, all the limes. And just like, it was just way too much. So one day he sees uh, it's a tasty machine. So like soft serve ice cream machine. Oh. Yeah. A tasty ice, a soft serve, soft serve ice cream machine. And he thinks to himself, well, let's, let's try it out. Why not? It worked. It worked. He was able to build an empire off of it. People started, like, he did not copyright the technology, which to his, you know, to his dying day, although don't cry for him, he's a millionaire <laughs> many, many times over. But that machine is not the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian, he donated that machine to the Smithsonian. Wow. And so, yeah, that's how important Mexican food history is to the United States, that we have, that we keep it at our ultimate repository of our nation's history, of our yeah. nation's past. So, yeah. and a lot of dishes, if, if we don't know who invented it, we could at least say who popularized it. So right. like fajitas, for instance, it was a woman named Ninfa Lorenzo uh, from Houston. Fajitas came from South Texas. Everyone knows that. But she's the one who brought it to Houston in the early 1980s, made it a sensation, and then just spread across the United States. So much so that a lot of people like fajitas are just part of American food, right. uh, you know. And so, again, and that's what I try to do in my book again and again and again, just find those stories. Because I think not just to give them their credit, but also just as a writer knowing their readers, readers like to – Readers like to read about extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. They don't like to read about the abstract much. They don't, they want very specific tales. And if you could tell the story through the prism of the one person who the whole reason you're doing this is because of that, then that much more to it. And then you track that person. Hopefully they're still alive. You interview them. You get those anecdotes. You get those great quotes. That's how you get readers. And in your research, I mean, you, you you talk about going to the library and the microfilm. And so it starts with that. And then you kind of zero in on the person. Is that sort of how the process goes? Scour the ends of the earth. That's always <laughs> a philosophy that I have when it comes to a story. Leave no paper unturned. Leave no book unread. Leave no person uninterviewed until you have the story. And you could, of course, it could be a lifetime's work or a life's work, but you need to find it. And also... Be ready to be surprised. Do not do not grasp onto whatever narrative you have or whatever idea you have that this is what the story is. If you do, you're not going to go far enough. You have to be open to things completely changing. You could, you also have to be open to, frankly, doing all this months of research and that leading nowhere. Oh. You will not know until – and yet, it, you know, in some ways it's a waste of time, but in other ways, no, because you wouldn't have known unless you went down that way. Did that happen with Taco USA? Did, is there any particular branch you kind of went down? and went, mm, uh, this is, there's nothing there. I would not probably be able to remember right now. Yeah. Not to brag, but I'm a pro at this now. <laughs> I kind of know what to put a lot of uh, time and effort yeah. in and see what's going on. Like, um, no, I, yeah. I, I pretty, I pretty much got all of them. I mean, 
There were some interviews I couldn't get, but that's okay. But at least I tried. Yeah. yeah. And are you the type of the writer? I mean, do you know when something is finished? I know there's with the creative process, we talk a lot about, you know, there's a lot of artists who, who never feel like anything is finished. It just keeps, it's just, it just keeps going. I mean, yeah, you have to turn it in or put it up on the wall at some point, but it's never finished. But other artists feel like, okay. That's done. How how is it for you? I have only been satisfied completely with one story. That was about why Mexicans love Morrissey so much. And when I wrote (laughs) it, at that point, Morrissey was not talking to the press. I tried and it wasn't going to happen. But when I wrote it, I told myself, no one will ever top this story. And no one ever has. Everything else, I could have done it better. Even like, I'll read some of my old stuff. Oh, I should have changed this word. Oh, damn it. I wish I could have gone that way. But at least with reporters, more so, I think, than other types. Well, everyone has deadlines, but reporters know you have to meet your deadline. Exactly. And you're going to get some extensions sometimes, but sometimes you have to go with what you have. But that said, you better, the, the way I always see it is if I'm going to publish something, I better be p- proud of it. Otherwise, why am I publishing it? Right. You know, I, I I better be able to stand by whatever I write. And I do to this day, even if people don't appreciate it or people don't like it, I'll say, I tried. I stand. No, no, I tried. I did it. Is it the best thing I could have done? Maybe not for this particular thing, but do I still stand by it? Absolutely. And now is that story about Morrissey widely available? Is that oh, something oh, people online, can yeah. find? Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's called Dispatches from the Morrissey Latino Lovin'. Oh my gosh, that's great. <laughs> I will definitely be reading that one for sure. Another quote that I saw from you kind of related to this is uh, regarding, uh, and I can't remember exa- the exact words, but about sort of um, not making everyone happy is a good thing. <laughs> and and that it, if you're not ruffling some feathers, then that's good. Do you still feel that way? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I mean this. I don't care if you like me or you hate me. I really don't. I mean, obviously, it's nice if you like me. If you hate me, though, sometimes it's even better just because it becomes... <laughs> more uh, like wow you're gonna spend all this time on me like i don't i can't say i hate people but if i did i don't spend my time hate is just such a waste of time but i don't care i don't care either way what i do care about though is that you read my stories the worst insult you could give me is not read my stories though nothing kills you kills me more when someone introduced me oh yeah you know this is more for southern california than a place where i'm not that known like say utah but like in southern california oh yeah this is gustavo ariano people like who? That hurts. Oh my God, it hurts so much. I'm not trying to be an egoist, but as a writer, you you hope that everyone reads you. So if you don't like me, don't read me. Ignore me. That That's when it gets to you as a writer. Right. Yeah. But you're definitely not afraid. I mean, you, you want to get your concepts out there and be true to you know who you are as a writer. And I think that's really admirable. I have stories to tell. And if as long as I'm able to tell those stories, I'm going to tell them. And if people don't like them, I don't care. Take it up to whatever boss they have. And most or I have and what's most likely that boss is going to say, sorry, he wrote a great story for me. Yeah. Like at the end of everything, like the only people who I care about uh, in terms of being satisfied with my stories are really myself and maybe my editors. And I've had, you know, I'm, I'm not difficult. Like there was no, you are definitely <laughs> not. You have been such a great guest and so easy. Scares so. me about other guests. Uh, we won't <laughs> no, talk no, about no. That. <laughs> yeah. No, but like for me, it's like, I get it. I'm not. I'm not part of your paper. I'm a freelancer, but I want to get involved with it. But, you know, there, there there was one case where the person just did not get the story. They were also not paying attention to the edits that I made. They were messing people up. So at that point, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm taking my story back. No harm, no foul. I'm not going to hold it against you. I really won't. But it's like, I ultimately have to be able to stand by this story. Right. And you're changing it in a way where I can't do that anymore. So I don't need this. Right. 
One other topic that I think came up in the book that I was curious about is this concept of how advertising impacts um, things moving forward mm-hmm. and, and both positively and negatively. I know in, in, in the topic of Mexican food culture, there, there are some advertising campaigns that have been very, very powerful and have worked, um, certainly as a propeller for the culture and propeller for the food, but also have created some controversy oh, yeah. and, and, and not good things as well. And so, uh, can you talk about some of those? The whole reason Cinco de Mayo is Cinco de Mayo nowadays is because of advertisement by beer companies where they realize, I mean, Mexican Americans celebrating Cinco de Mayo, absolutely, but it was never the thing it was until, uh, American beer companies started selling them, specifically Coors and Bud Light made these whole campaigns about it around at nine, back in the 1980s. Then Corona hopped on the bandwagon. Yeah, Corona's a Mexican beer for sure. Mm-hmm. Not so, I forget by which conglomerate. But yeah, that's a case. Or then you had the Taco Bell Chihuahua dog. Like, right. made Taco Bell very, very popular. But when all you have is a spokesperson is a dog. And I like Chihuahuas. I like dogs. They're, you know, they're cute dogs. But it's like, come on, you could do better than that. Or, you know, you had good commercials like Chipotle for the longest time. They had pretty good commercials back when they actually cared about their product instead of trying to be like a higher end version of Taco Bell, mm. you know. Taco Bell, and then later on, Taco Bell dropped the Taco Bell Chihuahua dog, or the other case, the Frito Bandito. The Frito Bandito was a total stereotype right. of everything bad, like Bandito characters for Frito-Lay. As eventually, Frito-Lay dropped it in the 1970s due to, uh, not, it, there was never a boycott, but there was a lot of complaints by Latino activists. Yeah. Like, food is... Food is great. You don't need you don't need stereotypes really to sell them. Although if they work, the people will still use it. In the book, you talk about one of the images, and and I think there's a complexity with it, and that is you know uh, the image that we see on various things that is the Mexican laborer resting by the tree with the hat down on the cactus, yeah, and that that has that can have very positive sort of uh, ideas of relaxation and enjoying life, but also has turned into a negative connotation as well. What are your thoughts about on that? Should we not use it? Should that be used? What do you think? That's a fascinating history. And in my book, I just barely touched on it, but I actually did a big 3000 word essay Uh about the history of it. The, the, the primary scholar on the sleeping Mexican under a cactus is a, a professor named Maribel Alvarez from the University of Arizona. And she tracked the whole history. It's, it's actually the reclining figure goes back to Greeks, to the Greeks, like right. the, 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 um, how could I put this? The, the overall image of it, the motif, that's what it is. And when that image first started coming around, it was actually supposed to provoke sympathy among the people because it's the, the Mexican is sleeping, yes, but it's because he's so exhausted because he was being exploited by the Hacendados during the Porfiriato, the, the era before the Mexican Revolution. And so they were sleeping because they had nowhere, they were, these men from the countryside were going to the city. They would work. They were exhausted. They had nowhere else to sleep. So they would just sleep next to the wall reclining eventually though that image starts turning into kitsch in this american southwest and and the the important thing is that the cactus that it's sleeping under it's a saguaro cactus saguaro is only very specific to the sonora like tucson uh maybe going up to phoenix a little bit it's a very specific cactus so it's very much an image of the southwest but then it became code for mexican and all of a sudden oh the mexican is sleeping because he's lazy oh the mexican sleeping is because he's cute and now it's kind of turned to the uh, like you make another turn and now it's like a term of nostalgia so you uh, uh, 
across the American Southwest and Mexican-American households, you have the statue of the sleeping Mexican under the cactus. And they say, yeah, it's a part of my culture. It's part of who it is. You can use anything for good or for bad. So it's the important thing is always context. Right. You know, so you have these restaurants, especially like in the Midwest and the higher West and the South, and they still use that motif and people don't find it offensive because for them, it's a calling card for Mexican food. You would never see that sort of imagery in a Mexican restaurant in Southern California anymore. People would see it's like, oh, that's so antiquated. Right. And you don't, and frankly, you don't need a sleeping Mexican under the cactus to sell you Mexican food anymore either. Yeah. Well, that nostalgia thing is really interesting. And, and we talked a little bit about that this morning. Uh, but that also kind of brings me back to talking about Los Angeles and Alvera Street. And uh, the, there's, there is always this nostalgia that, that sort of creeps back in. And yeah. Is that a, is that a good thing? Is that, what do you think? I don't like nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I think nostalgia is a juvenile, um, emotion and that makes me sound very cantankerous and cranky but i don't (laughs) care and i'm saying in general like the back in the day was not better than what you think uh don't like and then you you when you're yearning for a past you're not paying attention to the present uh with so same thing with mexican food oh you know this is just how you know it used to be served back in the days of the aztecs like no we're not living the days of the aztecs anymore give me something that's good for better for worse Nostalgia is different from traditions. Right. Traditions are passed on from generation to generation. Traditions are living, breathing things that can sometimes evolve and sometimes don't. And that's perfectly fine. But nostalgia is just yearning for a past that you're not going to get anymore. And that probably never really existed. Right. Again, juven- juvenile. juvenile. Well, you see this in, in TV. I mean, people talk about some of these shows that harken back to the 50s and 60s. And they're these romanticized versions of that. Yeah, this nostalgia <laughs> that didn't really even exist. No, so. you know, you, everyone gives a big nostalgia in the 1950s. Oh, so easy back in those days. Yeah, if you were white, yeah. if you're Mexican, uh, you're segregated against. If you're black, you didn't have full voting rights. If you're any other sort of group, you would just be harassed because you didn't look quote unquote white. I didn't like. I, I don't have any nostalgia. I like the music, but that's about it. But no nostalgia there. Instead, we should look to the future. Exactly. <laughs> you should always be looking to try to improve the life that you live right now. The past is the past. You should learn the past. I think, you know, you ha- that's why I'm such a huge proponent of history and historical literacy. But you don't live in the past anymore. The past is not going to come back. Right. You have to go moving forward. And if you are just going to live in the past, like, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on that note, I have another song to play for you. Now, this is my one artist who is not from L.A., but I just love what she's doing. And this is Anna Tijoux. Yeah, she's awesome. She is awesome. I Pushes know. It. And in fact, uh, the reason I know about her is because of L.A. And that's because of my my brother-in-law. Shout out there to Arturo, who turned me on to Anna Tijoux's music. Uh, and this is a song of hers called Shock. And yeah, check it out. Tijoux is T-I-J-O-U. X on a tijou shock and you are listening to KSUU Thunder 91. Permitiremos más, más tu doctrina del shock. La hora sonó, la hora sonina del shock. La hora sonó, la hora sonina del shock. La hora sonó, la hora sonina del shock. La hora sonó, la hora sonó. 
dices solo corporaciones ¿Quién tiene más, más, más acciones? Tosos, gordos, poderosos Decisiones por muy pocos Constitución, pinochetista Derecho, pues de hígado fascista Golpista, disfrazado de un indulto Elitista, cae la gota, cae la bolsa La toma, se toma la máquina Rota la calle, no calle la calle Se raya la calle, no calle Debate que está ya Todo lo quitan, todo lo venden Todo se lucra, la vida, la muerte Todo es negocio, bajo tu tonto Semilla, pascuela, método, seguro tus monólogos, tus discursos sin colores, no ves que no estamos solos, millones de polo a polo, al son de un solo coro, marcharemos con el tono, con la convicción que basta de robo, tu estado de control, tu trono podrido de oro, tu política y tu riqueza y tu tesoro, no, la hora sonó, la hora sonó, no permitiremos más, más tu doctrina de just talking about music and this is the apex hour ksu thunder 91.1 and we are here in the studio with gustavo ariano and what we were talking about was music and um that's a perfect kind of segue to what we're going to do now which is kind of talk about what's turning us on this week and kind of everybody's favorite segment and and yeah so you used to be a music critic so you know all these bands and everything i used to know way way better back in the days Uh, i'm not as much attuned to it anymore but of course i knew who chicano batman was and that's about it it's funny because i say oh i don't like nostalgia but all i listen to is old music <laughs> but I, I that's how i uh, that's how i always was it was weird because just of my upbringing uh you know in southern california in the 1980s and 90s like i li- I, I listened to the hip-hop for sure and i was like more the g-funk sound than east coast so once g-funk went down and then the east coast rap started coming up i just tuned out of a rap. And then though once Atlanta, you know, hip hop starts popping up, Outkast, and then going on CeeLo Green and all that, then I started getting back into that again. Yeah, it's hard and to keep up. And now it's like Migos and Triplets, which I'm just obsessed. 
I'm obsessed with that type of rap because I find it abstract. It's like abstract art. They all they do is like spit out words, and then there's a call and you know, a shout and response, and it's just crazy, crazy. So our theme, our our thing for the end is what's turning you on. So is that what's turning you on this week? Is there an album or an artist or a movie or a TV show? Oh, what's turning boy. you on this oh. week? Gustavo Arellano. Uh, it's it's sh- it's very shameful to say, but what turned me on this week was the Below Deck Mediterranean reunion on Bravo. No way! Yes. I totally watched that no show. No way! <laughs> Hannah is like. Are you pro Hannah? No. Oh, she no. went crazy. This she went crazy. Oh, well, I, I can't say on this show uh, <laughs> what I actually think, but you you know what I like about that show is that. Even though like reality shows, you could trash them, but they're working on a boat and that's hard yes, it is. work and being in like literally cabin fever. So that I, I, of all the Bravo shows, I really respect that one. I like more below deck with Captain Lee and all that. Captain Lee's my favorite. That's my wife's favorite too. <laughs> but like, it's, it's amazing just to see and you see those struggles over six weeks and like, so I think it's a really underrated show. But then, of course, the reunions, you have all the drama and all that. And then Joao is like, oh, what a pig. That's awesome. I watch. Oh, I, my gosh. See? You totally watch. That's great. So you're a for, for fellow Bravo guy, which exactly. is awesome. So that's Bravo Below Deck Mediterranean is what's <laughs> turning Gustavo on this week. There's a new show coming out. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name where uh, he's, he's saying uh, it's sort of like everybody who watches Bravo. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like a like he's gonna do commentary about yeah. it. Yeah, and it like the funny. I think that'd be really fun. Yeah. So Well, that was fantastic. <laughs> On behalf of everybody Surprising. here at Apex and Southern Utah, I just want to say thank you so much for your time and thanks for being here and spending the hour with us on the radio. Gracias for having me. Great music, great conversation. Well, that's it for the Apex Hour. Um, we will let you get back to your regular programming, and we will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.